How many times have you wished your kid came with a manual? When we are unsure as parents, there are so many conflicting opinions that it's overwhelming to know which way is best. Even when we're intentional, situations change, which require us to be flexible and remodel our styles to meet the needs of our families. I created this podcast to share principles and strategies that I have used in counseling and education to help parents prioritize authenticity, connection, and purpose with their kids. Welcome to Remodel Parenting. Welcome back, everyone. Thanks for joining us. As a reminder, we are in a Ditching Negative Communication series where I am unpacking Gottman's Four Horsemen of the Apocalypse related to his research about what kills relationships in regards to communication. The four things that he unpacks are criticism, contempt, defensiveness, and stonewalling. Today, our episode is about criticism, and I'm adding complaining to it because that can go along with it and is often a precursor for kids. So if you haven't listened to the whole series, you may want to go back to episode 31 and start with the beginning. You'll get plenty from this episode in and of itself, but the entirety of the five are going to go together, so I encourage you to listen to all of them. So I want to talk a little bit about what complaining and criticism are as they relate to one another and how they are different from simply sharing negative feelings or negative perceptions or maybe even complaining in its most simple form, which is sharing something negative that you don't like that's happening, versus when it moves into excessive complaining and then looking into kind of the chronic situation where it's constant criticism towards other people. Now, I don't know about you guys, but complaining really gets to me, especially with my kid. Grates on my nerves. And let's be honest, a lot of times kids are the worst when it comes to complaining. You can give everything that you have, put in a ton of effort and time and energy into making something wonderful for them, a meal, an event, And the first thing that they may do is sit down and complain about something that is not exactly how they imagined it to be. I don't know about you guys, but there's something that just takes the wind out of my sails and really just frustrates me. Well, that is the same with our kids, but even with other adults and other people, have you ever been around someone who complains all the time or someone who just criticizes what everybody else does and the first thing out of their mouth or the main thing that they go to is being critical about what they see? They don't really see the positives and things. They don't try to point out the good. They're just critical about what goes on. Well, We know that criticism and complaining and those types of behaviors, while they sometimes have their place, so sharing negative feelings and negative observations even with people who we love and with our kids and them with us even are important to be able to voice those, that as it moves into excessiveness, where it's consistent complaining or especially consistent criticism, it really just sucks the life out of relationships. And Gottman talks about criticism as really the kind of the gateway uh, negative communication cycle that opens the doors for the others. And the other three that follow are the ones that you, when you really start to see them, you start to see relationships break apart. But criticism and excessive complaining can wear on that. And so we have to look at these things, not just as go-to language or go-to defaults in terms of when we don't like things, But we have to look at it from a broader picture on how do we consider what our communication patterns are like, how we're communicating those around us, and how we are modeling for our kids and expecting them to communicate with us as well. Are we offering them 
the types of skill and language to use to share negative opinions or negative observations without it turning into constant and excessive complaining, which then can often turn into criticism. Um, I saw a meme this week and I laughed really hard. I don't know about you guys, but it made me think about this complaining portion of it because it said the two things that I love most in this world are number one, being with my kids and number two, not being with my kids. And I had had um, a day of uh, quite a bit of complaining from my two and I and I laughed out loud um, at my computer when I saw it come through because a friend sent it to me, of course, who's probably in the same situation. We all got a really good laugh out of it. But if that's not the, you know, the deepest truth about this, we deeply love our kids and we want to listen to them and we want to hear what they have to say. But when communication patterns turn frustrating, it even pushes us away from them. And we we look for times and moments of peace when they are not communicating with us in ways that we can really palate to. So I say all of this to say when we can train our kids to communicate with us how we want to and need to hear communication, we set them up for future relationships that are better and for stronger relationships with their friends and future, you know, romantic relationships, future marriages, future, um, future parenting for them as well. But we also give ourselves a better groundwork for a relationship with them and for them with us. So let's break down some of these terms and make sure that we're all on the same page as far as what they are. When we say criticism, we're not talking about the about constructive criticism. And this is more of a language issue. Because when we say constructive criticism, what we're really saying is gentle and useful direction away from something that's not helpful, or away from something that's going to be an issue in the future. Where when we're talking about criticism in terms of these four horsemen of the apocalypse of relationships, what we're really talking about is the, the constant mentality of attacking someone else rather than talking about the issue at hand. So when we shift from talking about what is a problem, um, let's say the person that we're with a spouse or even a kid does the same frustrating behavior over and over again. When we move from talking about the behavior and the problem into talking about the person or attributing it to the person and their personhood, we've moved from practical solution focused talk into disrespectful criticism towards the other person. And we usually really shut down the ability for something to happen as a result of that. So for example, when we say something to another person, our child, even maybe our significant other, hey, I feel disrespected when you speak to me like that. When we maintain those I statements, those assertive statements that say, this is what's going on with me when you choose those behaviors, we are speaking to one another about a problem that is existing and it leaves space for us to be on the same team um, and avoiding criticism and making sure that we stay away from turning it into a personal issue for the other person keeps us on the same team. Now, I did another episode in the Family Norm series. It's actually episode four about creating a family norm of staying on the same team. And this is part of it is the type of language that we use. So you might go back and pick that one up if you haven't heard that before. Because when we let patterns come in, where we're consistently 
focusing on the other person and changing those messages to you're disrespectful. You don't think of anyone but yourself. You don't care about me. You don't care about my feelings. And we start a lot of those statements with you instead of I, then we've shifted that around from being problem focused to being person focused. So we can say things like, hey, I feel disrespected when you say things like that, or that's disrespectful language, even calling the language what it is with our children. But moving into you are disrespectful, you are an issue, it really can be internalized for adults and for kids. Sometimes we think about it being internalized for kids, but really adults internalize those messages too, and it can create really big cycles inside for what the relationship is moving forward because of how you see me or I see you. Keeping communication to kids, especially directive communication about what they're doing wrong, keeping that to problem-centric language and solution-focused language, here's the problem, here's how it needs to be fixed, is one of the most empowering things we can do for our kids. When we turn it into criticism or we turn it into something that is more personal about who they are, they have a hard time delineating between those messages. If you go back, we talked a little bit about this in the previous um, episode about developmental stages in kids' cognitive development. Kids have a really hard time um, generalizing big principles into their individual lives until they develop a significant amount of abstract thinking that doesn't come at all until they're in their teenage years. So if you tell a kid, hey, you're being really rude, you know, you're rude, you're disrespectful, and you are, you're telling them things about their character, their little brains have a really hard time taking that and transferring it into, oh, the actions I just did were rude, but I'm not rude, so I shouldn't do those actions. Kids work the other way around, where it's, hey, when you do that, that is rude behavior, and then you become a rude person if that is behavior that you consistently choose. They have to start from the individual incident and broaden it out, not the other way around. Their brains can't put it together like that. Now, if you know me at all, you know that honesty is central to who I am as a person. It has its place, and it does not have to be compromised to get rid of criticism. In fact, if you get rid of criticism and you build your language style and your communication style with anyone around you to really avoid critical language, it actually gives you more opportunities to be more honest without it turning stressful and without the conversation going south. Um, It is honesty has to remain at the forefront for us to have trust and communication. And if we if all we do is nice talk and all we do is encouragement and building up, we don't really build trust foundations for deep connection. I don't know about you guys, but my very best friends in the world are the ones who will tell me, um, you're just doing that because you like to win. Or, well, when you, you know, you're telling us that this is what's going on, but really it seems like this is what's going on and calling me out on things. Now, not everyone can just walk up to you and call you out. People have to earn that space in our lives. But the true friends, the deep friends, and the real deep connections that we have are the people who've taken those steps to earn those connections and then take steps to call us out when we need to but usually in love and focus on that problem while they still maintain how much they care about us and want to see us grow. Now, how do we address this from a parenting side? 
when we are noticing that we are frustrated, and especially if we tend to lean towards being likely to criticize, we have to really stop and separate in our minds the person from the action or the behavior of the issue. And I don't know about you guys, but for me, that is a problem for me. I tend to be very clear and very direct in my communication, and it can come off as criticism quite a bit. And so one of the things that I have to constantly try to check myself is to make sure that the language that I'm using and the information that I'm sharing is focused on the behaviors, focused on the issues at hand that are actions that can be changed, and not just on the person around me, my husband, my kids, people that I work with, you know, it really doesn't matter. But that's a constant process in me. That's really not for them to all have to manage so that I don't have to be frustrated at them, right? We have to be willing to commit to speaking about the latter part of that, the actions, behaviors, and issues, rather than the person, and making sure that we can reframe that. Now, sometimes that means that we have to stop, and we have to take a break from from things and think through it before we speak, being slow to speak, right, and slow to address things. The issues don't go anywhere, so taking a break is never a bad thing. As parents, we really have to commit to adjusting our language to being what we call solution-focused in counseling-type scenarios, where it's really easy to get caught up in just griping and being focused on the problems. And with kids, kids really have to have a... um, a map to get out of the problems that they're in a lot of times we may find ourselves in saying this is what you're doing all the time or you know you're just this way and you know stop being that way but if we don't give them the key out and the the way to get out of it they may not develop it for themselves or it may take a lot longer they have to know um what to do and not just what not to do so we can tell them all day long like stop being rude don't be rude, be respectful. But if we don't give them language for it a lot of times and have them redo it and, and repractice it, it can really go south and we can get even more frustrated because they keep trying things that don't work or they just default back to the same behaviors because they don't know what else to do. Um, we have to take that solution-focused approach and not just a problem calling out approach. Because if all we're doing is complaining or criticizing, even the behaviors, if we don't turn it into solutions, then kids pick up those patterns too. And that becomes the way that they communicate. Now, we have to remember that all kids are different and all kids are going to work this out differently. And so um, I did a series right before this called uh, Cut Yourself Some Slack. And it was all about taking a break and realizing, you know, some of this is trial and error with our kids. Every kid's really different. But some practical things to maybe get you started if this is something that you want to focus on is considering that with really young kids, as early as you learn about this and learn to do this, you can practice task and issue-based directives. And so making sure that your language and your directives to your very young children are about their behaviors and about what you expect them to do and giving them the solution and even helping them very young to start to redo and do the right thing. As you see, get kids get into older years, uh, older kid years, like that two to seven years. And um, if you get into that cognitive development stage where they, um, one, they tend to be high complaining years because during that cognitive stage, they are very egocentric, which means the whole world is about them. And the only way they see the world is through their own lens. Um, 
you have to be able to see where your kids are being critical and you have to be able to call it out and address it for what it is. Kids are so concrete, especially at this age, and they need clear language patterns. So you give them the words for how to sound different and you make them say it that way back to you. If you have a chronic complainer earlier, I had one of those. Um, using discipline and discipline guidance at that age is vital to prepare for older ages. But giving them fair warnings and helping give them the path to do it right is more important. One of my kids was very much a complainer about food from a very early age. Every time my daughter sat down at the table, she would complain about something. The first thing out of her mouth would be complaining about something. It didn't matter if it was her favorite meal. She was going to find something to complain about. And so she's also very verbal as a person. She's very outspoken, shares all of her thoughts, all the things that everybody needs to hear um, about what's going on inside of her. And so I realized that it was really rubbing me the wrong way because she would just start with, I don't like this, or this looks gross, or this is bad, or what, I don't want this. And I began to give her some guidance and directives. And I thought to myself, how... I had to stop and really gauge myself and say, how can I hear her non-praising responses to food where it doesn't really rub me the wrong way and it doesn't give me an emotional reaction after I've cooked a meal? And so I gave her the language that she was welcome to share that something may not be her preference, but that she could follow up with what she was choosing to do anyway and that that showed a lot of self-control and maturity. Even at a young age, they really catch on to that. And that's not necessarily the only language, but she would sit down and she would start to talk and then she would go, I'm sorry, this this may not be my preference, but I am going to eat it. Don't worry. <laughs> um, and it would usually make me laugh, but it also communicated to me by telling her what to say. If she wanted to share those things, it communicated to me that she wanted to be kind. She wanted to follow in what I would ask her to do. She didn't want to be rude and she would follow in the patterns that I gave her. Even as kids move into preteen ages, they're still really concrete. And this is where we lose the battle sometimes because we expect to be able to say things like, hey, think about how that would make you feel. And we expect them to be able to hit these abstract thinking moments of, you know, abstractly connecting how something feels to someone else when they can fully justify why they were doing it. And connect it to some abstract situation where they're in the same way. And some kids, a lot of kids still can't really get there all the way. It doesn't solidify. And so we so we tend to either fall to that or realize when they're not getting it, we just tend, we might just ignore it and say it's just a phase. And for some of them, it may be a phase and they might get through. But the best thing to do is to really still stick with it, with complaining and criticism in these ages. Still continue to hit it. And I would tell you the redo at this age is incredibly powerful because they start to feel a little bit juvenile with it when you make them redo the language. No, that's not how you say it. If you want to share something like that, you know the way to do it. And then they have to, to, to redo it and give you the right language for it. Um, that tends to wrap itself up if you really stick to that through preteen years because they don't like it either. Um, and if you can keep your attitude in a space that is open to them and saying, this is for your benefit, it's for all of our benefit in our relationship. So it doesn't turn into an emotional battle it tends to wrap itself up and they tend to practice themselves into it a lot better. When they go into teen years, at some point during teen years or maybe even later, they'll start to develop more of an abstract um, process. And for, for kids, and especially if you have, uh, you know, as you have relationships with your adult children, 
connecting with them in the spaces where they're being critical and saying, hey, you know, what what you're saying feels really critical. It feels, you know, really disrespectful. Or it feels this way to me, but I really want to hear what you're what you're saying. So can we maybe take a break or take a breather? Can you think about maybe how to share that with me in a way that I can partner with you to address the problem? Criticism in and of itself, like I said earlier, is the lowest issue that damages relationships. And Gottman says it's the open door for the other three. It's vital to address early and to hold ourselves accountable to because it is the gateway to the others. So in the next episode, I'm going to cover contempt, which tends to be the first response to criticism. And we'll follow with defensiveness and stonewalling before we wrap up this series. Thank you for listening to Remodel Parenting. If this has been helpful for you, share it with a friend and subscribe to the podcast so you won't miss our weekly episodes. You can visit theremodelproject.com to sign up for our email list and follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter.